can I actually believe? Like, what is fake news and what's not? I was, I was listening to a, a guy, he used to be an old anchor back in the 70s, and uh, he said, you know, when we did Watergate, and he was talking about how he was reporting it, he goes, we just reported it. He goes, it was just like, we didn't have an agenda, we didn't spin everything, but today it's like, we got to deal with that. So I don't know about you, but that kind of messes with my head a little bit. And then I think about some of the other things that are potentially fake out there, like there's fake meat out there, you know, and you're like eating something and you're like, is this real meat or not? And you're just wondering, you know, you just don't know. Uh, and, then, and then there's, yeah, so to me, it's like, well, at least, you know, seeing is believing, they, they always say, but you, you can't always even believe what, 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 what you see. So like this right here, that looks like a real picture, doesn't it? See, it's actually not. And if I thought that that was real, I, I don't think I'd ever surf again in my life if I thought that was real. But that's, that's, that's fake. That's, you know, photoshopped or whatever. This right here. Isn't that cool? That's just so amazing. Like, unbelievable, except for it's fake. How about this right here? You know, there was a big storm, you know, the mall got all drenched. Water came down into down the, you know, the escalator. And the next thing they know, there are sharks in the mall. Right? Right. No, not really. Um, how about this right here? <laughs> I don't know what you would do if you saw a dog that big. I would run for the hills. Just literally. But that's actually not um, real right there. Uh, and, then, and then finally this right here. I don't know if you heard about the tidal wave that hit the Statue of Liberty. She still stands strong and tall. Despite that, right? Except for that never actually happened. I mean, we, 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 just, we have the, these this fake things. We're trying to figure it out. I think it's more complicated today than ever. But what about fake religion? You ever thought about that? That you could, you could fake your faith, fake, fake your religion? Today, we're going to get into a, a new book. Uh, it's it's a, the last book of the Old Testament, and it's called Malachi. If you're, if you're Italian, it's Malachi. Um, but I want, you to, I want you to get into your Bibles, and I want you to go to this book, if you would, the very, very last book of the Old Testament. This is actually called A Minor Prophet. And um, we're going to read a, about uh, what's, what's going on at this particular time. So the guy that wrote the book, uh, Malachi, his name actually means messenger. Messenger. And if you were a prophet uh, in the Old Testament, you were a straight shooter. I mean, prophets did not pull any punches. They just came straight at you. So, we, in fact, the language is so harsh that we decided to use a different translation. So uh, we're, we're going to use the message translation. It's a great translation, but it just kind of it, it gets the point across without maybe just being so, like, punching you in the face. But, but he's got some really, really difficult things to say. Now, this takes place in about 430, 435 B.C., and this is a very difficult time in uh, the history of Israel. What's happened is Israel's been exiled, and then they've come back to their homeland. A guy named Nehemiah is a contemporary of Malachi, and so he's reestablished the wall. They kind of built the city up a little bit, but it's, it's nothing compared to the former glory that Israel once knew. And so the people are not in a very good mood, all right? Let's just, just, just put it that way. And so God speaks through this prophet Malachi, because that's what God would do. He would speak to the prophet to speak to the children of God at that particular, particular time, Israel. So let's, uh, let's jump right in. We're going to read um, the first five verses here. A message. God's word to Israel through Malachi. God said, I love you. Now, that is a great way to start. He just comes right out. He goes, 
I love you, and I feel like if you read the rest of this book, you understand why God says this, because he's got some, some difficult things to say, but he says, first and foremost, before I say anything else that I'm going to say, I want you to know, as your father, I love you. And then you replied, really? Now, this is the children of Israel speaking back to them. How have you loved us? Look at history. And so this is sort of God's answer. Look at how differently I've treated you. Jacob from Esau. I loved Jacob and I hated Esau. I reduced pretentious Esau to a molehill and I turned his whole country into a ghost town. And when Edom, Esau said, we've been knocked down, but we'll get right back up and start over. Good as new, God of the angels' army said, just try it. See how far you get. When I knock you down, you stay down. People will take one look at you and say, land of evil and a God-cursed tribe. Yes, take a good look, and then you'll see how faithfully I've loved you. And you'll want even more, saying, may God be even greater beyond the borders of Israel. So I feel like immediately I need, there's one thing that I need to address here, because if you're new to the Bible, or even if you know the Bible really well, there was something that was said there that doesn't sound very God-like. He said, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. Now we serve a God of love, right? And so the question is, does God hate anyone? And the answer is absolutely not. He does not hate anyone. God loves everyone. So let me, let me just bring a little context to this. And so if you ever like, come across this again and you're reading this, you'll have a greater understanding of it. So if you go back in, in, in history, there was two brothers. There was Jacob, there was Esau. Uh, and and uh, one of them, Esau, had a different kind of a spirit. The Bible, there's a great story behind it. But let's just say that, that Esau was not a spiritual kind of guy. He was a hunter. He was, a, you know, kind of a macho sort of dude. And he didn't relate to God. He didn't relate to faith, whereas his brother Jacob did. And so Jacob becomes the promised child of, of faith. He becomes one of the, the uh, patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so what's going on with God saying this about Esau? Well, one day Esau actually comes in. He's actually the firstborn. He comes in, and uh, he's been hunting, he's really, really hungry, and he sells his birthright to his brother, Jacob. Birthright was everything. It was your spiritual heritage. It was your, it was your future. And so basically, for a bowl of soup, he sold himself out. That's how little regard he had for God and the ways of God and faith. And so basically, what, what God is saying in this passage is he's saying, not that I hate Esau, but I hate the attitude of Esau. I hate it when people have no regard for me. They could care less about faith. Okay? So that's what that is about. And I hope that that, that brings some, some clarity to you. So let's talk about what we get from the book of Malachi in this, this very first chapter. The first thing is that we see that was the very first thing that God says, I love you. And God's going to have a long conversation with, with these, these people, his, his children. He says, I love you. And it, by the way, it is unconditional love. A lot of us... Most of us, actually, is a, is a, we're, we love, but to love unconditionally means that no matter what you do to me, no matter what you say to me, no matter how you treat me, I'll love you despite all of that. And that's not really easy for us. But God says, I love you no matter what. I love you un unconditionally. The Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 2 says this in verse 13. And this is, this is really a profound statement that he makes. And when he says this, he's talking to the people, the children of God, people that have a commitment to Jesus. And he says, if we are faithless, anybody here ever been faithless? I have. I'll own it. 
I've had various times in my life and seasons in my life where I was not faithful to God. I was mad at God. You know, I, I, just, I just was just not connected at that particular time. But this is what he says about Steve Bombacci in that season. He says, if we are faithless, he will remain faithful because he can't disown himself. In other words, he's saying, you're my kid. You're my kid. If you have a relationship with Jesus, no, how much, no matter how disconnected you feel this morning, he's saying, look at you know, your family, okay? And if you're walking away from me and if you're acting stupid and everything else, you're still family. I just want you to know that. I, I, I love you. So, when we doubt God's love, sometimes, when we get in those seasons, what do we do? Kind of intuitively, don't we sort of pull away? Don't we sort of, this is what's going on with Israel at the time. They're going, you know what? We remember the good times. Remember when, you know, Israel was all that, the glory days. But life has not been good. And they're beginning to pull away from God because they feel like God's not good. And that's kind of what we have a tendency to do. You know, in, in our life, you know, maybe somebody dies who wasn't supposed to die. Maybe our health is in decline. Uh, maybe that significant other walked away from us and we're heartbroken. Maybe our career is just, you know, just taking a dive. Whatever it is, and we begin to hurt and we begin to sort of think, God, I don't think you care about me anymore. I don't know if you love me in, in, anymore. In, uh, in verses 2 and 3, God said to them, I love you. But you replied, really? You ever said that? Really, God? You love me right now? You know how much pain I'm in right now? I think probably all of us could identify with that at some point in time in our life. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, in a relationship, if you're not like really talking about how you feel, it's probably not a very deep relationship. And, and God gives us the opportunity to, to just air it out and say, I'm hurting, I'm in pain, I'm angry, I have questions. But he wants us to keep pursuing those questions. Like, like st stay with it. It's kind of like this. We put it this way. God's not hiding, but we have to be seeking. My little granddaughter, Bailey, I have five grandchildren, but my little granddaughter, Bailey, is four years old, and her favorite game to play with me is hide-and-seek. And I love playing the game with her. But uh, she has no patience at all. And so when I'm playing the game, you know, she goes and she runs off, and I go, okay, here I come. And so I'm kind of walking around. And about 30 seconds later, I hear, over here, Papa. <laughs> you know, and so I'll walk over there and I'll see her little butt sticking up above the furniture or something like that. And I'm like, oh, I found you, Bailey. You know, because she was actually hiding in plain sight. <laughs> and, and really, that's what God does. It's like he's hiding in plain sight, only he's not hiding. And he just says, look at I'm right here. And sometimes in our pain, when we're struggling, we're like, God, where are you? I don't know if you've ever said that before, but like, God, where are you? I just don't feel you, and I, and I can't see you. And it's kind of like God is like Bailey going, hey, I'm, I'm right here. I'm, I'm right in plain sight. You just need to look for me. In verse 5, he says, yes, take a good look. Then you'll see how faithfully I've loved you, and you'll want me even more. In those moments when we're in pain, when we're struggling, when we're doubting God, when we're questioning God, I, in my own life, I can, I can speak to this. Sometimes I just lose perspective. Sometimes I, I forget that God and I have been journeying all these years. He's always looked out for me. He's always taken care of me. He's always had my back. But in the moment of pain, maybe even in a season that I'm going through that's really kind of rough, I don't feel it so much, and I for, just forget all about that. But God's speaking right here. He's basically saying, I want you to think back to when all, all the things that I did for you, the way that I love you, 
the way that, 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 that I care for you. So, we need to know that God loves us unconditionally. And then we need to know that, that God wants us to worship, and how we worship actually reflects our love for him. So, so how, how do we worship God? So, God doesn't, he doesn't leave it up to, for us just to guess. Have you ever been in a relationship, and probably a lot of you have, where the other person expects you to be a mind reader? You know what I'm talking about? And, and so they have these expectations, or he or she has these expectations, and then they get mad at you, and you're like, well, well, why are you mad? And then they tell you, and you say, well, why didn't you just tell me? You know, and, and it would have helped a lot if you would have just told me, and then I would, I would have known. So God's not like that. God just spells it out clearly. He says, you know what? I want you to worship me, and I'm going to tell you exactly how that works, how, how you're going to worship me. So the first thing that we says, he goes, I want honor and I want respect. I want honor and I want respect. So let's read about it in verse 6. Isn't it true that a son honors his father and a worker his master? So if I'm your father, where's the honor? If I'm your master, where's the respect? God of the angel armies is calling you on the carpet you priests despise me. You say, not so. How do we despise you? And then he says, by your shoddy, sloppy, defiling worship. And you ask me, what do you mean, defiling? Defiling by what? So, again, this is actually softer language than some other translations. God is just, he's feeling pretty hurt. And he's saying, look, I, you used to worship me. You used to honor me, but, 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 but you're not. So, what do we honor and respect? What does that actually look like in our life? What does honor and respect look like? Well, it looks a lot like obedience. See, God takes obedience really, really seriously. You go back to the words of Jesus. And Jesus said, if you love me, and Jesus didn't say this once. He said it several times, and he said it in different ways. He said, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. If you love me, you will be about my ways if you love me. And that's, that's how you'll honor me, and that's how you'll respect me, if you love me. So next he says, I want you to have a priority in your life. So if you're going to worship me, not only will you obey my commandments and honor and respect me that way, but there'll be a priority in your life about me. So verse 7 says this, when you say the altar of God is not important anymore, worship of God is no longer a priority, he said, that's defiling. So the people of Israel at that particular time, they were just losing their, their way. They, they were just kind of, they, their, their passion was gone. Like, whatever. They were just going through the motions. They were faking it at this particular time. They were just like going to, to, to worship God, but it, but it really, really wasn't worship. Makes me think about a stat that I heard recently. It was kind of disappointing, but it doesn't particularly surprise me. And that is this, that in American churches, the average American now goes to church three out of eight weeks. So three times out of eight weeks, they'll go to church. Which begs the question for me, so what's going on with those other five weeks? Because I, I don't know. I mean, to me, if you, if you really love God, you're going to want to be worshiping God. And 
church is a great place to worship God. It's not the only place you can worship God, but it, it's just a great place to worship God. So I, I, here's, here's the way that my mind works. So I'm thinking, what if this was a relationship? So take a, a relationship, and I'm going to go, take it back to my dating days for a second, and I'm just going to kind of create a scenario. So suppose back in my dating days, I'm dating somebody, and, for, and I like her, and she likes me, and so for eight weeks we're dating. But of the eight weeks, I only get three dates with her. And, and then the, all the, the other five, I call up and go, hey, you want, you want to go out this weekend? No, I'm going to be with my girlfriends. Oh, okay. Call her back up next week. Hey, you want to go out again? No, no, there's a really good Netflix movie on tonight. Um, maybe next week. Oh, okay. Call, call her up again. No, I'm washing my hair this weekend. You know, I just, it's going to take a while. So here's, after eight weeks, here's the conclusion that I'm going to draw about that. You're not that into me. You're just not that into me. What, are, what other conclusion could I possibly draw, right? Now, if, if you take that and you put it into this context of how we worship God, and if we're five weeks out of eight, we're just going, well, I'm going to stay home and watch a football game, and uh, I think I'm going to go out and maybe do a brunch today. That'll be really cool, and, um, you know, whatever. I don't know. I don't know what it is. Then I, it just, it's, it's, you have to look at that and say, what does that mean? What does that mean about how I feel about God? What does that mean about how I, I, I worship God? Now, I realize that sometimes when we go, don't go to church, there are other, you know, you have a job, uh, family comes into town, so I'm not talking about that kind of stuff. I'm just talking about when you can, but you choose not to. There's another time that people don't come to church. And this is, I really want to speak to this one for a second, and I totally get this. It's when you're down, it's when you're hurt, it's when you... Things are not going well. And you think to yourself, because I've been there before, the last place I want to go right now is church. I just don't even want to be around people. And if that's you, I just I want to encourage you and say, just fight that. I know intuitively that's what you want to do. But here's what you need to know. If you come here, you don't have to put a smiley face on to come into this place. We're not going to fake it around here. We're real. You could have the worst week of your life and come in and look as depressed as depressed can be, and we're just going to try to love you. We're going to try to encourage you. You can come in here with a hangover. Happens. We're happy to have you. Now, if you come in on strong drugs or something, please see our security team, but you're still welcome. You are. We want you to be here. We want to encourage you. And I, I just think it's a great way. I just, Folks, if this not, has not become a part of your, your uh, routine, I just want to encourage you. Uh, we've, we've got um, eight Sundays left after this in 2019. How about if you just said, you know what, I'm, I'm just going to get into the groove of just doing this. This is going to be healthy for me. It's going to be a great way for me to worship. And as your pastor, I just want to challenge you to do that. My best, not my leftovers. My best, not let my... So how do we worship? We give God our best. Verse 8, what does it say? And when you offer worthless animals for sacrifices and worship, and animals that you're trying to get rid of, blind and sick and crippled animals, isn't that defiling? So let's go back to how they would worship then. Obviously, we don't do this anymore. If you go back to the book, the Old Testament book of Leviticus written by Moses, um, he instituted a sacrificial system for people to be able to deal with their sins. And so you could offer the first fruits of your crop, or you could offer animals, and many times it was animals, and there was a temple, and people would bring sheep and other animals, and there would be a blood sacrifice, which was a, sh a foreshadowing 
of one day that there would be the ultimate sacrifice, that the blood of Jesus would be shed as the ultimate lamb of God. But what was going on, so obviously we don't worship that way anymore, but for them, that was really, really important. And what they were doing is they were taking not the best because Moses required that if you were going to bring, let's just say a sheep, that it had to be the, first of, of, uh, the, the firstborn sheep and it also had to be without blemish. But they were just grabbing the, they were, you know, you, he says it right here, you're grabbing the one that's blind, you're, one, you're grabbing the one that you don't care about and you're bringing it and you're going, here, take this. And God's going, really? Really? That's, that's, that's what you're going to offer to me. Not our leftovers. So who gets prime time in your life? Who, who, who gets prime time? Who gets the best of you in a day? From the time that you get up in the morning, we all get 168 hours every week. And so you get up in the morning, and then, you know, you go to work, your day begins, and then your day ends, and then, you know, you, whatever, whatever happened. But in all of that, how much of that does God get? Do you, do you start your morning off with prayer? I would highly encourage you to. Is there a little bit of scripture reading along the way there? Is there a, a sense, even a, an awareness of God throughout the day? That, that, God, I belong to you, and my life is your life. And I want to honor you, and I want to worship you in, in my life. Or is that just not a part of your experience? Or are you just faking it? Faking religion. Meaningful worship, not empty actions. Look at what it says in verse 10. In other words, God is saying here, he goes, I want you to be all in. Verse 10, why doesn't one of you just shut the temple doors and lock them? Then none of you can get in and play at religion with all this silly, empty-headed worship. I am not pleased. Wow. God is not happy about this. He's saying, I, I, I don't want you to fake it. I, I don't want you to fake religion. I don't want you to just go through the motions. I... Um, as a kid, I grew up in a, a little Pentecostal church in San Jose, California. And um, I don't know how many of you know about Pentecostals, but they're kind of weird. There's no other way of saying it. Um, and and these, you know, we used to call them holy rollers and stuff. And so let me just put it this way. If you don't know anything about Pentecostals, they're very, let me just say, it, they're very demonstrative. Okay, you know, it was no big deal. Somebody jumped up in the air and ran around the room, and rolled around, and I mean, you just would see all kind of interesting things. Two-hour services was pretty much the norm, at least, maybe more, two and a half hours, and so that's, that's what I knew. Well, I had a friend, and his name was Mike, and Mike used to go to another kind of church, and it was, uh, I guess today we'd probably call it more liturgical, high church, and so if I was spending the night at his house, we would go to his church, and if he spent the night at my house, <laughs> we would go to my church, and that was an experience for him. But, um, you know, I, when I went to his church, I mean, everything was different. And, and I, when I talk about this, so I just want you to know, I'm not throwing high church, uh, you know, under the bus when I, when I say this. I'm just going to talk about this particular church. So when we went to this church, it, it, I, I noticed there was stained glass window everywhere. It was beautiful. I was like kind of awestruck by all of that. It was big. There was candles that were lit. There was a guy that was way, way up on the top there somewhere, a priest, and he was speaking and I couldn't really figure out what he was saying, but it was about a 45-minute service, which I really liked because I got out, you know, in 45 minutes instead of two hours. I liked that part of it. But I, I just remember, and the, here's the part that really, really struck me in a different way. I remember walking out into the courtyard 
And this is the 1960s, and a lot of people smoked in the 1960s. So it seemed like everybody instantly lit up a cigarette and then started talking. And the way that they talked, I heard a lot of cussing and you know, cursing, and, and people were, just seemed not happy and bitter. And so instantly in my mind, I'm like, wow. Like whatever just happened in there inside that church seems to have no relationship to what's going on out here. Whereas, with my crazy Pentecostal church, when they walked out the doors, they were still praising God, talking about how good God was. We called each other brother and sister. Hey, Sister Merman, how are you? Oh, great, Brother Steve. And, you know, it, that's just the way it was back then. And, and I felt love. A little kooky, yeah, but, but, but felt love. And what I saw is, I, at least I saw one church that they were all in. They were, they were just into God. And I saw another church that I can't really say, just based on what I experienced, I've been there several times. I don't know. I kind of felt like they were faking it. Kind of felt like they were faking it. Is it possible to fake religion? To fake your faith? Commitment, not distraction. Let's read what it says in verse 12. Offering God something hand-me-down, broken, or useless. I'm honored all over the world. And there are people who know how to worship me all over the world, who honor me by bringing their best to me. All except you. Instead of honoring me, you profane me. You, you profane me when you say worship is not important. And what we bring to worship is of no account. And when you say, I'm bored. This doesn't do anything for me. Wow. Kind of, kind of reminds me of something I experienced a couple of weeks ago. I, I went to a, a conference uh, over in, in Vista to a great church, and it was a conference that was primarily for people that are, you know, for pastors and, and people that are in ministry full-time, vocationally. And there was probably about a thousand people there, and a very large group were vocational people in, in ministry. And so a guy named Chris Brown, I, this is like my third or fourth time at this conference, got up. And this auditorium is beautiful. Everything, there's screens, the colors, the sound, everything is just like, whoa. And, and so Chris Brown got up there. This is after we'd sung a couple of worship songs and the band was amazing and everything. And, and he got up and he, and he said something that I think just hit every, if you can call it this, professional pastor or whatever, right between the eyes. He said, I, I know what you're thinking. I know exactly what you're thinking. You're here and you're looking at all this high-tech stuff we have. You're looking at all the, like, the wow factor and everything. And, and you're just log you heard the band, and you're thinking, boy, you know, I wish maybe our church had a band that great. And he went on and on. And at some point, he goes, stop it! Right now! Stop it! We were like, whoa. He goes, that's not how you worship God. God could care less about that stuff. He wants your hearts. And I realized that I was probably one of the worst offenders there. That I was one of the people that I, I'm so critical and judgmental at times and I, I walk into a, a service some other place and I'm looking around and I'm listening to the pastor and I'm thinking, oh, I think I could do better than that. I'm listening to the worship and I'm like, they're okay. The drummer's a little bit off, but whatever. I'm just critiquing, but it's, like it's gone beyond critiquing and I'm missing the whole point of worship of what God wants. 
See, I, I, I fear that one of the things that's really got into the church is the culture. And we live in a very consumeristic culture. And when you start, I hear people saying, oh, I'm just doing a little bit of church shopping, you know. And, and, and it kind of bothers me when I hear it. Now, I get it. If you move into town and you're looking around, that's one thing. But, but when you just keep shopping, it's like, well, we're going to go to that church down there because I heard they have better coffee than you guys do, and, you know. I heard the one over there has a, a better children's program, and, and they got these huge slides, and so we're going to go over there, and, and on and on. What is that? Like, worship is about a family. It's about a, a group of people that are coming together and say, God, we're not here for us. We're here for you. It's not about our personal preferences. It's not about us going home and, you know, saying, well, Steve is a little off his game today, and, you know, he does that once in a while. Or, 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 you know, the worship wasn't all that, and, you know, I don't know what's going on with the children's ministry, you know. I mean, it's not about that. It's about being all in. It's about saying, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come. And it, nothing has to be perfect, because it never will be perfect. But I'm here, and I'm here to worship, and I want my heart all in. And God, I want you to know I am here for you. I'm here for you. That's, that's what God is looking for. And that was the issue that, that God was having with Israel back in the day. So let's do a quick heart check here, okay? We've talked about quite a few things here. What do honor and respect look like in my life today? So what would that be for you? And then, am I committed to beginning the week in worship? I just want to throw a challenge out there. How about if you went the next eight weeks, finished out the year strong, 2019, eight weeks, if you can. Who gets prime time in my life? That's a big one. Who actually is getting prime time in your life? Is God? Is it something else? Someone else? And where do I find myself just going through the motions? Fake religion, fake church, faking it. Is it any wonder that so many people are not interested in God anymore? when they see fake religion. I, I don't ever want that to be said about me. I don't want that to ever be said about our church. I hope all of us in our own way, and none of us are perfect, right? We're, we're super flawed. But that we would be in. We would be, we would be all in. And then where do I allow personal preferences to distract me from God? Where I get caught up in that consumeristic kind of Christianity. Let's just bow our heads for a moment. Lord, I think back to your prophet Malachi, and boy, it must have been hard for him to say what you told him to say to Israel. It must have been maybe even harder for them to hear what you had to say. But today we realize that we're so much in some ways like Israel. It's so easy for us to just drift away. It's so easy for us to not be all in and actually fake it. Lord, pray that if there's anybody who finds himself in that place today, and if they're really, really honest in their heart of hearts, they'd say, I, I, I'm really, I'm not all in. I'm not all in. My priorities are probably not right. Prime time? God, you're not getting prime time. Well, I pray that this morning, this is a new day. This is a new opportunity. And I, I, I pray, Lord, right now, I'm going to invite all of you who are, feel like you're not there Get your heart in right now. 
put your heart in. And so I want to pray a prayer. You can pray it with me. Lord Jesus, I ask you to forgive me for faking it sometimes. I ask you to forgive me for not giving you prime time. I ask you to forgive me for not making you the priority that you deserve to be. Forgive me for not giving you my best, but sometimes giving you the leftovers of my life, the leftovers of my time. Forgive me, Lord, for not worshiping you well. But Lord, this morning, we choose to honor you and respect you and worship you the way that you have called us to. So let this be a new beginning in our heart this morning, Lord. Help us to be all in. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen.